a soul circumcision. This teaching is somewhat of an extension of a teaching I previously did called Redeemed from Sexual Immorality. This is my covenant. In that teaching, I share how I had asked God the question, why the circumcision of a man's penis as a sign of one who was under the Abrahamic covenant? This teaching reiterates the answer to that question more or less. However, it is more focused on what Christ has done for us in redeeming us from the law of circumcision, which was a physical activity to us participating in a circumcision of the mind, the heart, the soul, which is a spiritual activity. In this teaching, the Holy Spirit also points to the fact that circumcision of the flesh was an activity only the man had to do. Why was that? besides women not having the same parts needing to be circumcised. We know that women too need a circumcision as they too are of the flesh. It just points further to the fact that this is more of a soul and spirit activity than a carnal activity. Well, let's press forward and dig up some treasures and become richer through our faith in Christ. I begin with Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 to 21. New King James Version. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with the hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found still sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Our freedom in Christ means we are new creations. Hear what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 12 to 17, New King James Version has to say. But we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if the one died for all, then all died. 
and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In order for these scriptures to have truly become a reality to me, God has used my marriage to reconstruct me as a man and make me a new creature. He is proving it to me again and again. And when my heart is circumcised, because circumcision was an act a man had to do physically in the law of Moses, now through Yeshua, Jesus, it is a circumcision of my soul's heart. My wife's soul's heart is circumcised because I behave towards her in a way that is Christ-like, seeking to love her as Christ loves the church allowing her to know that she is loved despite her behavior, behavior that may sometimes be undeserving of love. This is the same thing for a single woman who has made Jesus her husband before she meets a mortal man. Her heart is circumcised because of Jesus' circumcision. This is actually how we should be conducting ourselves before meeting our spouses as male and female. That men and women should seek to first know the love of Jesus and a circumcision of their souls before they meld with another person. I pray this is our children's portion. To first meet Jesus, the holy circumcised Lord, through being crucified with him and having their spirits and souls aligned with his. However, in our society, that is hardly the case, as we have been indoctrinated to do it the hard way. Due to abuse, trauma, sexual immorality, sin. Through this method, our sense of worth and what love is, is based on corruption and chaos, not Christ. We find ourselves fighting and frustrated, trying to figure it out with another broken person. And if God is not let into this relationship, the relationship ends up as another statistic of why marriage does not work which is not at all fair to what God made marriage to actually be, a deep physical, soulish, and spiritual representation of his union to all of creation before the fall of man, and what it will be again when Jesus returns. We the bride await our bridegroom. Circumcision was never a thing the woman had to practice when it came to the law. Just as the woman was cut from Adam, so is a woman cut from a man concerning the circumcision of the heart. So when the man is circumcised in heart, the woman will be circumcised in heart. The perfect balance that God had once created in the garden is once again restored. Again, we are not following God's order in our present day and age, especially in this period, as marriage has become theatrical. Therefore, we often find marriage to be very difficult as all is out of whack without God's stipulations for marriage. As men of God, not men of the world, we should never be expecting our wives to lead or they be the ones to bring change for the better. Even if they have taken upon themselves to do so or saw their mothers do it, 
That woman can try, but eventually, because of the woman's inherent desire for security, going unfulfilled by the man with an uncircumcised soul, she will eventually seek security elsewhere. Even if she is a godly woman and remains faithful to her marriage, she will just not look to her head, the husband, any longer for guidance. She will seek to take things into her own hands or listen to someone else. The Holy Spirit says this to the husband and wife through Paul. Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. That's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 29, New King James Version. According to this scripture, a man incapable of loving his wife, providing her security, serving her, for as Jesus said, Whoever is first and greatest must be servant of all. A man not living this scripture is a man who does not love himself. Even if he is taking better care of himself than his wife, sir, you are out of order. And the gavel of God's judgment is about to fall. Repent and follow the instructions that have been given. For truly, in order for the church to honor Jesus, Jesus had to put the church first by dying in her world. We as husbands must be willing to die in our wives' world, and God will raise and God will raise us up again to be honored by her. Also, absence of Ephesians chapter 5's order is chaos. Adam in his folly allowed the woman to lead, submitting in her dialogue with the submitting to her dialogue with the serpent not bringing correction in love or at all when she misspoke about God. And eventually he participated in the rebellion, disrupting the order God had created. And that negligence brought forth death and disorder, leading to the serpent having rulership and becoming the head of all that belonged to the man. That's why when we accept and take hold of the freedom found in Christ and hold to this truth, proper balance is then restored. The heart. The soul of man is circumcised, and so is the woman's. That's why if men in these last days truly accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, upholding God's commands to us, and were circumcised in heart, there would be no such thing as feminism. Because women would not have any need to seek their own security from feeling unprotected, abused, exploited, their gender misappropriated by men who wear feminism like clothing, and these men still coming ahead of them in the workplace, 
beating them in women's sports and literally setting them back from what they hope to accomplish through feminism. Feminists sought to come out from under men, but men who think they are women are still keeping them subdued. Truly the devil is the great deceiver. Now, if the men in leadership in every sector of life in the land would be of God's power, love, and soundness of mind, there would be order, not chaos, and women would follow. If this is not true, Jesus would not have had so many women following and ministering to him throughout his life of ministry, weeping after him through the process of his crucifixion and waiting on his resurrection. We as men have to stop casting blame upon the women. They are only doing what they know how to do and have formed a habit out of it due to the complacency of men. The women don't know it or may even refuse to accept it, but they are waiting on the resurrection of the men in the body of Christ. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. But the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. That's Romans chapter 8 verses 19 to 22. New King James Version. As you heard in that last part, it is not men who labor in birth pangs. It is women. And as I stated before, the women of the world, whether they know it or not, they are literally waiting for the revealing of the true sons of God, the men in the body of Christ, the disciples of Jesus to arise and take their place. Women inherently desire to follow men, and they will follow a man who resembles Jesus. I'm ministering to my own soul here. I haven't left myself out. We gain freedom in Christ by renewing of the soul, our minds, wills, and emotions. And I say it again, it is a circumcision of the heart. The soul is where all of the confusion dwells. In the case of an unbeliever, the body, soul, and spirit are all dead. And so an unbeliever is not confused and is heading in the direction they have chosen, to an eternal death in hell. In the case of a believer in Jesus, the flesh of the man is not confused, but does what the flesh does, which is seek for sin and death. While the spirit of the man does what the spirit does, and that is seek after faith and life. The soul, however, is constantly swaying back and forth between these two extremes and must pick a side. While a believer is alive on earth, there can never be compromise between these three parts. Nor should we desire compromise between these three parts. The flesh will always seek to betray the other parts and seek after sin and death. The soul has to pick a side. The flesh is literally like a 
Hungry Wolf, as we have, as some has probably have heard the story of the wolf. Which wolf do you feed? And the flesh is like that wolf that we have chained up and we're denying sustenance. That wolf might seem to have calmed down or maybe even seem a little humbled and meek. But if you give that wolf an inch, if you give your flesh an inch, it will take a mile. The soul must pick a side and the and the life of a believer, that side must always be the spirit. Once the soul chooses the flesh, that flesh will consume all. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18, New King James Version. That's why we must meditate on the truth of God's word and feed the soul with the right fuel for the struggle. God's word provides illumination. It enlightens the eyes of our understanding, allowing our souls to know more clearly which path to take which side to fight on. By meditating on the word of God, we meditate on Jesus, following him down the path of righteousness and the freedom that is in him. The soul is encouraged to testify with the spirit of the man as the spirit of the man testifies with the Holy Spirit. However, I can't stress it enough. The condition of our souls is the hindrance to why we as believers don't think we are free. Feel free. There is an illusion of not living in freedom. That's because we as believers literally get in the way of living in the fullness of the manifestation of the freedom Jesus has purchased for us. Person who is truly experiencing the freedom Jesus has purchased for them can be in the worst of situations that most people cannot or are not willing to endure. But that individual knows that their situation does not define them. The abuse they are going through, the sins that have been done against them, or even the sins they have committed is not the truth of who they are. You are a new creation, as stated in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that in fact, you can see what the struggle is actually all for. You gain the revelation knowledge of God, making you Christ-like in soul, not just in spirit. You experiencing freedom in Christ does not just mean wanting the symptoms of the problems to go away. You don't want a band-aid on the issues of life. You want to be made whole. God desired the world to be made whole. God desired the world to be made whole, so he gave himself as a sacrifice. You too can possibly be a sacrifice in the life or lives of others. So we must be willing to endure. As we dwell in the secret place of the Most High, awaiting rescue in our physical lives, the rescue we know with certainty we already have in our spirits. That there is a soul that has power, love, and soundness of mind because that soul meditates on these words of Jesus as choice food. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Matthew chapter 11, verses 29 to 30. So here's just a bonus as I come to a, my close in this teaching. It's, it's just so interesting how the Holy Spirit will guide me and lead me into truth. How, as David says in Psalm 16, Lord, show me, you show me the path of life. And so often I'll ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, show me the path of life. And I was having a conversation with the Lord and I asked him, I said, Lord, Lord, you said to, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Okay. And if your, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And I asked the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? Are you really telling people to gouge out their eyes? Are you really telling people to cut off their hands? And I didn't get an answer right away. But then I went to work the next day and I'm having this conversation with another brother in Christ. And he mentions to me about how his wife likes to watch horror movies. And, and right away, the, the scripture of Matthew chapter six, verses 22 to 23 came to me and it says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And I quoted that scripture to him. And I then mentioned, I said, well, she's putting a lot of fear, a lot of trauma from these movies into her soul. Because I don't know if you know this, brother, you're I, like Jesus mentions in this scripture, the lamp of the body is the eye. The eye that he's talking about here and is your soul. And he doubted it. But when he read it, the revelation hit him that what we're putting into our soul matters. The things that we're hearing, the kind of music, the kind of music we're listening to, it matters. The kind of things that we're watching, what we see, it matters. What we're putting within these souls, our consciousness, our minds, our hearts, they matter. And Jesus is saying that if the light that is in your soul, if the fuel, because he is talking about putting fuel within your soul, then what are you it, it, uh, what are you trimming the, the soul with? What are you trimming the lamp with? If you're putting bad fuel into the lamp, you're going to get a bad outcome. Your thought process is going to be bad. The way your heart uh, uh, perceives, you perceive things in your heart, the way you feel in your heart, the way you feel in your consciousness, your emotions, your feelings, they will be dictated by what you're filling your lamp with, your soul with. And right away, it hit me the answer to my question that I had asked the Lord the previous day. This was the day before I had asked God, are you really telling people to cut off their right arms and gouge out their eye? Are you really? And it hit me. No, he's not. Because 
if you cut off, if you poke out your right eye or you cut off your right hand, is that really going to stop you to stop you from sinning? We, I have seen videos of people deforming their bodies because they have disassociation with their body. They don't like their body, so they're transforming their body. People are cutting off fingers so they can have reptilian hands. Okay, they're tattooing themselves and putting different objects within their body so they can look like demons or aliens, other creatures. You're not going to stop sinning by cutting off your right arm or gouging out your eye. Even if you gouge out both eyes, you can still meditate. You can still imagine. And this is where it came in. And I'm going to read this scripture of Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 to 30, about the plucking out eye and cutting off hand. And Jesus said, and if thy right eye offend thee, okay, it causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Something is happening here. In these last days, the Lord told Daniel that knowledge would increase. If you are a disciple of Jesus, and being a disciple of Jesus is drastically different than being a Christian or even a follower, because the world is full of followers. But a disciple is someone who studies the master, okay? And if you are a disciple of Jesus, and you know the text and the words of God, Okay, it says in Daniel chapter 12, verse four, but thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. This is a prophecy that was given to Daniel because in the book of Daniel, God shows Daniel even through a pagan king's dream, King Nebuchadnezzar dreams of his kingdom all the way to our time period, the kingdom of clay melding with iron, the kingdom of flesh and nanotechnology being infused together, the kingdom of transhumanism, the kingdom of iron and clay. We're made of clay. God made of, made us of the dust of the earth. Okay. And made us intricate, special beings in his image and likeness, but took us from the earth because that is where we would live. But we would be able to live in both worlds, his world, the spiritual realm and the physical realm. And he gave us a body that could handle, handle that. And a spirit that would be able to commune and a soul that can, that could operate between both realms. He tells Daniel, knowledge will increase on the earth. And I'm seeing that happening. And God is revealing his text to his people who are seeking after him. So I digress, but God revealed here that 
when I was talking to my coworker, the Lord, Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, he said, look up what the left brain and the right brain does. And when I looked it up, okay, we know that in science, in biology, even though I'm not a biologist, <laughs> um, we know that in biology, the human anatomy, the right brain controls the left side of the body and the left brain controls the right side of the body. The Everything crosses over. But the Lord is not talking about our physical aspect here. He's talking about the soul, the soul, which is made up of our mind, our wills, our emotions. And when I looked up, okay, what the right brain does and the left brain does, this is what the right brain, remember, the soul. Every time God was talking about, Jesus was talking about the soul, he's called it the eye. And he was always talking about the right side. Gouge out your right eye if it offends you. Cut off your right hand if it offends you. And when I look up what the soul, the left side of the, our consciousness and the right side of our consciousness does, this is what the right side of our consciousness controls. Our creativity, our emotional intelligence recognizing faces, using our imagination, being intuitive, okay? I was shocked. I was, I was, I was like, oh my God. I mean, think about it. So if you gouge out both your eyes, if you gouge out your right eye, you gouge out both your eyes, you're still able to imagine and lust after a man or a woman or whatever you desire in this realm, whatever carnal thing you desire, you can still imagine it. You can still meditate on it. Okay. You can still have this burning desire and lust for it. And we have, cre God has given us such a creative soul, such a creative mind that even God had to literally step in at the Tower of Babel because he said everything that mankind imagined to do, they will be able to do it. So we must stop this building of the tower, this defiance against God, because that's what they were doing at the Tower of Babel. And we're still building Towers of Babel today. OK, we have an app called Babel. That is bringing all the languages together again. Instead of mankind seeking after what God says in Zephaniah, that he would give us a pure language. That's what God says. He will give us his pure language. And he has given us his pure language. He has given us his word. And there is going to come a time when the new Jerusalem returns. When, when Jesus returns on the cloud. And he comes and he collects his people, his disciples, his children, his followers. When he comes to get us and the world goes into utter chaos, because that's what's going to happen. The world is going to go into utter chaos, but that doesn't mean that we will not suffer persecution. We will not suffer persecution because I'm coming to realize that one of the things that God does in delivering his people even while we're still here on the earth, he takes us through pain. It is painful 
it is painful to become a child of God and to go through that transition because deliverance is necessary. And today I was talking to a brother and the Lord likened it as a child being delivered through the womb. Both the mother and the child must go through pain. And Jesus says in when he's talking to Nicodemus, he says, one must be born again. He said we must be born again. Those who are born of the flesh are of the flesh. And deliverance requires that we be born of the spirit. And it's a painful process. That means, as we go back to it, circumcision is a painful process. It is. <laughs> I mean, I don't remember what it was like for me as a child, of course. But it must have been painful for Abraham and everyone who came after him. All those men at that time who had not been circumcised. And every man who wanted to join Israel, they had to be circumcised. Must have been a painful process. And it hasn't stopped being that, even though it is no longer re required except for health reasons, right? It's no longer required, but it is required of the soul. It is a severing off of the old man, the old things, the old ways, the old mindset. And it is painful. Sometimes we think that God has abandoned us through the process because it's so painful. But he says, count it all joy when you're going through various trials and temptations, for it is a testing of your patience. And when patience has had its good and perfect work in you, you will be perfected, lacking nothing. You'll be free. So it's a process. It's a process of deliverance. It's a process of renewal, this circumcision, this thing of circumcision. So don't run from God circumcising you. That's why when he gave me the revelation of the gouging out of eye and cutting off the right hand, right eye, the eye is a lamp of the body. The Lord is basically saying, take the sword of the spirit. The word of God, which is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and sever your soul. It is only the word of God. It is only spending time in the word and believing it by faith that can sever, that, that can cause that circumcision. It takes a mighty blade to circumcise the soul. And God's word is that blade. I love you all who have chosen to stop and listen to this teaching. I pray that you allow God to take you through a circumcision of the heart, take you through a circumcision of the soul. I, I pray that that he has given you an ear to hear and you were able to hear this message today, that he blessed you, that in Jesus' name, that the enemy will not be able to come and snatch up this word from, from you. It won't happen. That this word will be a blade in your circumcision process, 
and that you can be that new creation that God says you are, that you know it in your soul, you know it in your spirit, even if you are struggling in the flesh. Don't worry. One day you will obtain a new flesh and you won't have to experience this anymore. Have that hope and that blessed assurance. Anticipate the return of our Lord. For you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, brethren. Or even if you are not my brother or sister yet, I love you and I'm praying for you. Repent. Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord so you can be saved and circumcised. And be a new creation. In Jesus' name, amen.